Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Gift safely online at MyFaithRadio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. That would be me, and I'm so glad that we've got this time together. I'm looking forward to this hour. Dr. Cal Beisner is going to be joining me in just about a minute or so. And then Pastor Sean Winters is coming into studio, so I'm looking forward to both uh, discussions I'm going to have with these fine, fine gentlemen. Um, as Every time I get Cal on, I always get lots of letters from listeners go, hmm, he's really smart. Have him on again. So every time he calls, uh, every time... I call. He says yes. So I'm really glad I get a chance to chat with him again. And so let's uh, not waste any more time. Let's take 60 seconds and bring him on. This Advent season, the Faith Radio team is taking the opportunity to know Jesus better by reading through the Gospel of Luke. Starting December 1st through Christmas Eve, we will be reading a chapter a day. If you'd like to join us, sign up online at MyFaithRadio.com. Open your Bible and start reading along. Together, we'll grow in our faith and celebrate the greatest gift this world has ever known, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in your faith every day through Faith Radio. We offer unique, original content through daily live and nationally recognized programs. You can find local airtimes for all your favorite shows by visiting MyFaithRadio.com and clicking on the Schedule tab. And if you ever miss a show, you can always listen to the podcast anytime. Check out your local schedule page under the Schedule tab at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Cal Beisner is the founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. That's a team of about 60 Christian theologians and scientists and economists and other scholars educating for biblical earth stewardship. And today is Giving Tuesday. I just can't think of a more worthy uh, organization to give to than cornwallalliance.org. Cal, how are you? Doing great. Uh, how are you, Bill? I'm great. So it's always nice to talk to you, and my my listeners love you, and you bring such sanity to such a difficult um, and hysterical subject matter. <laughs> well, I try. It's not always easy. I mean, you look at the headlines, you look at the way people talk about this, and and you kind of throw your hands up in despair sometimes. I mean, uh, I, I just was looking at some of the headlines about the COP25 that's Conference of the Parties, uh, the 25th annual conference that's uh, just started in uh, Madrid, Spain. Uh, And this has to do with the uh, UN Framework Convention on Climate Change and the efforts to to have a really toothy, that is, uh, (laughs) strong global agreement for reducing CO2 emissions. I was looking at some of the headlines about these, and and, uh, just as as a, a simple example of the kind of silly factual errors that come in to this, uh, a bunch of them say that the representatives from 200 
and some of them even say over 200 countries have gathered for this conference in Madrid. There's a little problem with that. There are only 193 countries in the world. (laughs) (laughs) that's That's not a tremendously significant factual error, except for this. It's a great illustration of the carelessness with which media and politicians report all sorts of things related to climate change. You and your stubborn facts, Cal. <laughs> well, they are stubborn things, aren't they? They are. You know, but how do we get an... Uh, first of all, I appreciate you and your team at CornwallAlliance.org that takes an honest look at the data and reports faithfully and honestly. But how can we even access reliable information on climate change? Because it's become part of an idolatrous thing now. Well, you just said it, Bill. Uh, people can go to CornwallAlliance.org. That's CornwallAlliance.org. We, as you know, uh, put up articles all the time, uh, roughly once a day, uh, showing the actual facts about climate change and plenty of other issues as well. You know, our aim is to to educate uh, the public as well as policymakers about about biblical earth stewardship. And, of course, in terms of, of uh, environmental stewardship, the elephant in the, in the living room is climate change right now, mm-hmm. but also about economic development for the very poor. How do whole nations rise and stay out of poverty? And then finally, also about the gospel of Christ and the whole Christian worldview. And we tie those things together precisely because it is the Christian worldview that first enabled many nations to rise out of poverty uh, by, by helping them to understand the world the way God really created it. And second, um, because uh, as nations do rise out of poverty, they're actually able to be better stewards of the environment because a clean, healthful, beautiful environment is a costly good. And wealthier people afford more costly goods than poorer people do. Mm-hmm. One of your colleagues, uh, Vijay, in, at, at CornwallAlliance.org, was writing an article about when Christians get entangled in climate idolatry. Um, and that's getting to be more and more an issue, isn't it? It is. Uh, in fact, uh, just today I was dealing with uh, a comment by a reader on Cornwall Alliance's Facebook page, uh, which, by the way, is another place your, your listeners can go for our information. Uh, this this fellow had had written basically, look, how can you talk about a biblically based understanding of climate change? After all, the Bible doesn't really say anything about climate change. And he went on to say, you know, look, uh, the world is fallen, man is sinful, and so it shouldn't be at all surprising that human activity can harm the planet and, in fact, harm the climate. Now he's he's got a point there, and yet. He is really, I think, what put put other sources of knowledge above the Bible and kind of divorced the Bible from being able to to uh, to address these things. So I replied to his comment, which I frequently do, uh, and I, I just pointed out, look, yeah, you're right. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how much warming is going to come if you double the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, but it does tell us that when God finished creating everything, he called it very good. And one of our senior fellows, Dr. Roy Spencer, a meteorologist and climatologist at the University of Alabama, and really one of the world's 
perhaps half dozen or so top climate scientists uh, years ago, about 20 years ago, uh, was thinking about that, meditating on that verse. And he thought to himself, would it be a, a very good climate system that would respond to a tiny, tiny change in atmospheric chemistry, CO2 going from 28 thousandths of a percent to 56 thousandths of a percent of the atmosphere by just becoming catastrophic. Uh, that doesn't sound like a very well-designed climate system. So Roy actually uh, designed an experiment to test that plane. Uh, his experiment used the NASA global uh, temperature monitoring satellites that uh, he has access to because of his work. And he said, look, if this claim is true, clouds should respond to a change in temperature at the surface of the Earth by, uh, by changing in ways that actually increase that change. But if it's false, clouds should respond by, in a way that decreases that change. So he just simply ran the data from the satellite observations over a period of a couple of decades, and he discovered that clouds change, uh, if, if you get a little warming at the surface, clouds change in a way that minimizes that warming. If you get a little cooling at the surface, clouds change in a way that minimize that warming. So, you know, what we find is that if we actually go to empirical observation and get away from just simply wanting to do hypotheses, do you know guesses, which is basically what computer models do, uh, we wind up with very different answers from what the models would bring us. And yet the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, operates almost entirely based on the computer models. Hmm. So trying to cut through the, uh, some of the hysteria, um, I mean, because over 200 countries have gathered and they're all speaking the same language. <laughs> yeah, um, over 200 out of the, out of the 193 <laughs> countries that exist, yes. Right. <laughs> that will make me laugh for, for the rest of the night, Cal. Um, how, how do we um, do a good job of, of countering this climate change hysteria? Well, I think what we have to do is do what the Apostle Paul tells us to do in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, yes. hold fast what is good. And, you know, that's really the key to science itself. That is really the origination of science, is this biblical understanding that we're supposed to be skeptical. We should test. We should be like the... Uh, like the uh, uh, Bereans who, when they heard the Apostle Paul preach, they searched the scriptures to see whether these things were so. Well, when we hear claims about global warming, we should be searching the actual empirical data to find out whether those claims are true. Well, that's what we do constantly at the Cornwall Alliance, uh, and we report on that. So, you know, what can we do to cut through the hysteria? We can go from the media headlines, we can go from the computer climate model projections uh, to the actual hard data. And that's what we that's what we feature so frequently at the Cornwall Alliance. Yeah, and that's why I appreciate you and your team of brilliant uh, thinkers. Um, let me take a little break. Dr. Cal Beisner is my guest. He is the founder of the Cornwall Alliance. That's cornwallalliance.org. Uh, if you have a question for Cal, something you've heard or something you'd like him to clarify or a question you'd like to ask, we'd be happy to, to hear it. 877-933-2484 is the text. 
Again, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Dr. Cal Beisner, founder and national spokesman of the Cornwall Alliance. Go to cornwallalliance.org. And Cal, right I'm, right before we went to break, I was kind of thinking about uh, data that's available. And, you know, you talked about the headline with over 200 countries when there's only 193 countries, and I'm so amused by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then, you know, I, I also think about just the um, hysteria that is created when, you know, Things like winter comes early and everyone goes crazy. This is, this is what they do to keep reinforcing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Bill, unfortunately, it just plain and simply is, is hard work. It's not easy to get past these hysterical things. I, I think, for example, of a time, oh, it was about a year and a half, two years ago, when we got a question from somebody who said, uh, look, you know the the Georgia temperatures have been going up and up and up. It's it's been getting hotter and hotter in the summers in Georgia. Uh, everybody can see that. And then he referred to various new record highs that had been that had been established in Georgia. Well, the fact is that any given summer there are going to be some new record highs pretty much anywhere, just simply as a result of the normal fluctuations up and down of temperature. Mm -hmm. Uh, Good meteorologists know that. What, What people don't realize is that those new record highs say nothing about any long term trends. So uh, I went to my good friend, Dr. John Christie at the University of Alabama, and I said, John, can you give me the hard data in terms of long-term temperature trends for the average temperature for the state of Georgia from 1900 to the present? (laughs) And John came up with those hard data for me just literally within a a matter of an hour. And uh, what did they show? There had been absolutely no change in average summer high temperatures in Georgia over that period. Uh, so what happens is that people, people will try to depend on their own perceptions, their own experience, and that's a really dangerous thing to do because our, our memories are not real great and because our experience is uh, not exactly representative. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't observe these things carefully over a long period of time and over a wide variety of places. So what that means is we just we have to go back again and again to trying to find the hard data, and it's, it's not easy. But one thing I think we can do is to recognize that, that these panics are no new thing. Um, you know, they've, they've arisen again and again. If we look at history, for example, uh, the, uh, the mainstream media were reporting alarming, rapid global warming in the period from about 1910 to uh, 1935 and 36. And then <laughs> while they were warning about global warming from the 1940s through the late 1960s, early 1970s, we had a little cooling going on. And so by the 60s, people were warning of a coming ice age. Mm-hmm. 
And then, of course, temperature changed, you know, turned around again, and we got rapid warming from the mid-70s to the late 90s, and people started <laughs> claiming we were heading for, well, the Earth as a fried egg. Time magazine had a cover at one point with, with the Earth depicted as an egg frying in a frying pan. Uh, and yet, from the late 1990s to the present, there has been essentially no statistically significant increase in global average temperature. So, you know, we just in part need to develop a kind of a native skepticism. When I see a claim that something unprecedented is going on, I should always be pretty skeptical of that claim, even, even simply because Scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes says, there's no new thing under the sun. Mm-hmm. So, Cal, what about the climate models and, and the computer-generated data? It, are those ever going to be updated where they're going to reveal something more along the lines of what you've been sharing? Yeah, well, they've been updated a number of different times, and it's a, a rather fascinating thing. Um, a fairly simple climate model used by uh, a uh, a uh, task force put together by the Carter administration back in the late 1970s uh, predicted that if we were to double the CO2 in the atmosphere, we should see an increase in global average temperature of between 1.5 and 4.5 degrees Celsius. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, that range has not changed over the, uh, what is it, 40 years since then. Uh, the fifth assessment report of the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which came out in 2013, gave the same range. And yet that was after spending literally billions of dollars trying to improve these computer models. Meanwhile, although the models uh, said that we should be seeing about three-tenths of a degree Celsius of global warming per decade, actual observations by global satellites, by weather balloons, and by what are called reanalyses, which combine a variety of different methods. The actual observations showed that we were having global warming over a period of, of uh, from 1979 to the present, of about 13 hundredths of a degree per decade, uh, roughly a third of what the models called for. Well, now, right now, uh, there's a whole new generation of models being developed. The past generation was the fifth, so they call them the CMIP-5 models. This generation will be CMIP-6. And the early results from the CMIP-6 models call for even faster, even greater warming from CO2. But what's really interesting is that the observations show that the CMIP-5 models already exaggerated the warming. So clearly what's happening is that the modelers are taking their basic assumptions and going with those instead of what we see when we look at the real world. That's the opposite of the true scientific method. Uh, the late Nobel Prize winning physicist Richard Feynman in a wonderful, wonderful lecture that you can actually watch a clip of on YouTube, just uh, Google for Richard Feynman, that's F-E-Y-N-M-A-N, uh, and then the phrase key to science. Uh, in that clip, Feynman points out that it is the key to science 
that you compare predictions based on your hypothesis with real-world observations. And he says, if the observations contradict the predictions, your hypothesis is false. Doesn't matter how smart you are, doesn't matter how, how beautiful your hypothesis is, doesn't matter how many people agree with you, if the observations contradict your hypothesis, your hypothesis is false. And you go to go back to the drawing board and, and start over again. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're not seeing that happening with the scientists behind the climate models. And that suggests to me that they are more committed to an agenda of some sort than they are to actual scientific method. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's fascinating, Cal. A um, couple of listeners are jumping in. Uh, one would like to know if sea, if sea levels are rising. Yeah, sea level has been rising uh, ever since the end of the Ice Age, roughly, oh, 18 to 20,000 years ago or so, <laughs> depending on, on just exactly how you do your geology. Uh, but it's been rising for some 18 to 20,000 years. Uh, the average rate of sea level rise uh, goes up and down in cycles that are driven by a variety of different ocean currents. Uh, and that average rate runs anywhere from about one and a half to three millimeters per year. Uh, in other words, about six to seven inches uh, uh, average over a century. And there has been no acceleration in the rate of sea level rise over the period uh, of supposedly man-made global warming, which is essentially 1960 to the present, uh, it has continued at that average rate with the ups and downs driven by the cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cal, I'm just getting a whole bunch of questions and I'm running out of time. Um, Great. So I've only got 90 seconds left, but another question that came in, um, see if you can answer this one really fast. What um, what are the, um, I know I lost the question. Boy, nice work there, Bill. Um, my high school daughter is interested in a career in meteorology, um, but what are the, uh, what are they being taught? What is, what are college teaching students about global warming? Well, most of the meteorology departments and the climatology departments at universities around the world are pretty well dominated by uh, global warming true believers. But if her daughter wants to uh, study meteorology, I would just highly recommend that she go to the University of Alabama at Huntsville and study in the School of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences there. Uh, she should uh, get in touch with my good friends, Dr. Roy Spencer and Dr. John Christie, nice. both of them among the world's top climate scientists, and try to study with them. Nice. Now, I'm going to give you 15 tw- seconds. Connect the dots between false climate change false climate claims and increased government control? (laughs) If we have a global problem that cannot be solved by individual action or even by the action of individual governments, we need a global government to take over and and solve this problem. And that's why you do, in fact, have at the very top of the global warming alarmist movement a large number of people who are are out to to bring about global government. Thank you, Cal, so much. CornwallAlliance.org. Head over there today and check it out, cornwallalliance.org. Thanks, Cal. Nice to be with you. Thanks, Bill. God bless. You bet. Dr. Cal Beisner has been my guest. We'll take a short break and then we'll...
Welcome back to the show. I have Pastor Sean Winters in the studio. He's senior pastor at Calvary Church in Roseville, Minnesota. And he's uh, been a regular guest for a while. Sean, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. I know. I love uh, when you come in because you always bring in God's Word, and we have a little Bible study, and and, uh, today we're going to talk about when things don't go our way, and how do we respond? That's right. You know, and and interesting, Bill, uh, I was walking in here just today, just a moment ago, and someone said, are you on Bill's show? Well, you'll feel like you're prepared, and then you'll walk in, and it's it's not, it doesn't go the way you think it (laughs) was. Exactly. (laughs) So that's a good setup. That's, I mean, you know, this, we're in Christmas season, and we all get our our plans in place, and we think we kind of know how things are going to go, and then they just don't go that way. Well, how about just the the storm that hit over the you know the, yeah. the weekend, and you can have plans, but then they get tanked instantly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just trying to get get across town, you know, the the trying to get to the store, trying to get to the shop. We had lots and lots of people in our church whose kids were traveling over the weekend, and it's like, how could I? You know, this next week is clear, but last week. So plans change, and it it isn't like we had anticipated. And then you you, you go to all of these places around town and there's these great words of Christmas, love, joy, and peace. And, mm-hmm. you know, we see, we see peace more than we experience it. Um, and, and, you know, everything kind of is an upset. It's, it's confusing and, and plans change. And then the, you know, how do we respond to it? But so, so the reason I even introduce it that way is because, you know, in our minds, Christmas is great, but there's parts of Christmas that are really tough and, and, um, you know, family, the dynamics of family, the dynamics of, uh, getting people together, friends and family, and, and just what takes place. But I, I was thinking about the first Christmas, the first Christmas family, and, you know, the earthly father of Jesus, Joseph. E- even from Mary's perspective, you know, what they had anticipated mm-hmm. in their engagement didn't happen. Um, you know, every, everything that they had thought was going to come about. So l- let me do this. How about I read a familiar Christmas passage out of Matthew? Please. And then we're, I, I want to talk about some things and... And we'll see uh, see if I'm prepared and in what direction this goes. Cool. Okay, Matthew 1, 28, 18 through 25. Matthew is the story. 1, right? Matthew 1. Yep. Starting in 18? Verse 18. 18, you said 28. I'm sorry, started okay. 18 uh, through verse 25. And this says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Everything's good so far, right? Everything's good. Everything's cool. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant problems, pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The first Christmas is ruined. (laughs) Verse 20, but after that he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And he went on to say, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him, the child, the name Jesus. So plans went awry. Mm -hmm. Um, Mary was found to be pregnant. Joseph's plans of a nice courtship and a beautiful community celebrated wedding. Um, You know, like it's over. 
and, and he's, he's competing with these two different senses, like uh, he's faithful to the law. Um, something isn't right here. It, it, it looks, it smells, something's wrong. So he, on the other hand, he loves her dearly. So he decides, I, I got to call this off, but I want to do it quietly. So he decides to divorce her, stop the, stop the proceedings quietly. So the first thing that comes up here to, in my mind is um, he has this grace-filled response to a really heart-wrenching experience. And, and how many times when the snow falls, when plans go awry, when a family conversation uh, erupts into conflict... Um, do, do we respond with grace That's or do we point. respond, you know, with anger, we, we blow up. So here's the guy, he's thinking, he's considering it, he's kind of pondering. Um, you know, on the one hand, I want to do what's right and righteous. You know, we've, we've all got the sense of I want to speak the truth, but, but these are people that I care about and this is family and, and how do I do this in a kind and loving way? And we, we find those competitions in our own heart, in our own mind. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, we must accept finite disappointment and never lose infinite hope. Um, you know, if we apply that to relationships, we apply that to conversations, work settings. Um, you know, how do, we, how do we get to the place where we are trusting in Christ enough to have a grace-filled response? How do we move through Christmas in a way that... I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Um, That's a big order. That's a big call. I mean... I say, yeah, let's let's respond with a grace-filled response. So, how do we do that? Yeah, now that's that's a toughie. Yeah, I remember. Um, I mean, this is a, a story I've, I've laughed about with my family for many years. The kids were little. I'm sitting in the old minivan in the mall parking lot. My wife is just going to run in and shop for something, and 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 another car pulls in with the same idea. The driver's still staying there, but the passenger hops out. Parked too close to me, swung the door open, hit my van. You know, I thought I thought they were injuring my kids. I thought it was a you know personal attack. <laughs> um, yeah. the, the person who hit the car just you know they closed their door and they went in the mall. So I got out to talk to the other driver, mm-hmm. and, and I I don't recall everything I said. Um, but when I got back in our car, one of my kids in the back asked me, you know, Daddy, what was that all about? <laughs> so then you kind of quickly run the track. What did I say? How did I respond? And yeah, what was my tone like? What was my tone like? Yeah. And, and they knew that something was wrong, and I thought, I didn't have a grace-filled response in that moment. I was, I was upset. I was angry. I figured that they, you know, they totaled my car or something. <laughs> <laughs> but just how many times do we get in that spot? And, and you know, part of it is, is, um, is just trusting in God. Part of it, I think, is in the midst of those that we, we pause and pray. Say, God, help me. Um, you know, that, that, that we anticipate as we walk into the workplace or into school that there's going to be things that kind of hit me the wrong way today. God, help me to be, help me to be grace-filled. I think part of maybe is just keeping it in the front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, you know, I, I need to be heard. I need to say what's on my mind, but these are people I care about, and I've got to work with them tomorrow. I've got to go to school. What a great point, Sean. I mean, for us to say, I need to have a grace-filled response ready to go Mm. in any and every situation I'm in today, Lord, give me that grace-filled response. I mean, if if you put it in the front of your brain, maybe there's a chance then you will (laughs) at least get a a signal alert. It goes to it, yeah. Yeah, that says, all right, this is at least what you want to do, Yeah, whether or not you can do it. 
And the, the Christmas story is just so familiar to us that we, we you know, we breeze right through it. Mm-hmm. But when you think about Joseph and what he, you know, what he had hoped and planned, and then he gets word. <laughs> the, the woman that you're engaged to is pregnant. And for him, it's, it's a, it's a non, it's off the table. Like, yeah, and it's not like he lived in Manhattan and could just move to Jersey. Right. And, and not, <laughs> you know, not see anybody again right. ever. Yeah. Yeah, um, to say, you know what, I'm going to quit following her. You know, <laughs> I'm just unfriend her or something. But, you know, it's like people know and everybody knows your business, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it isn't a matter of just hiding in a crowd. And, um, you it, know, it, I'm, go ahead. No, and it had not been for the angels. I, I don't know how we would have ever worked through that because no. explain how um, pregnancy happens. Right. And then tell me it was not another man. That's right. Yeah, and, and then you get that. So so the first one is this idea that, man, he responded with grace. And then, you know, it says he considered it. And, and he, you know, he's either deep pondering or it's late at night because he ponders it so much and he falls asleep. So he's thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. And then it says that the angel spoke to him in a dream. So he's he's worn out, like, I'm going to just sleep on this thing. Mm-hmm. And and then the angel comes to him and speaks to him and, and calls him, you know, the son of David. So he labels him. He says, man, you're... You're called, you're positioned. Um, he's calling him to a higher level. And then he explains it to him and he explains it in a way that doesn't really clear the issue up for us. I mean, we, we still don't know how the pregnancy happened. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time that Joseph has like an inkling. Now, interesting. Um, we, we never hear Joseph talk anywhere in scripture. He's, he's a non-speaker. But four different times angels came to him. Um, so, so either he's, you know, highly important or the guy needs direct messages. Like, you know, <laughs> the angel shows up and says, here's, okay, time out, buddy. Here's what you need to do. Right. I mean, this is a big call, but the angel comes to him and says, Hey, don't worry. Uh, she's pregnant, but she's pregnant by the Holy spirit. Um, it, it's okay to move forward. I, I want you to go. I want you to take her as your wife. And, and, and so then he kind of gets the bigger picture. So. So for, first of all, it happens, you know, plans run off the road and we're going to try and have a grace-filled response. Secondly, we kind of get this aha of what God is doing. And and I think for for Joseph, aha was closely tied to oh no. You know, I mean, sometimes that happens to all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like an aha, like God is moving in a different direction and he's taking, you know, this, this conflict rises up, this, this confrontation happens. Um, a friend that we, we love dearly is moving out of town and like the aha, God is doing something. And there's also an oh no to it. Mm-hmm. And I think Joseph had that. He probably had this aha and, and then he had this, oh no, like, what do I do now? Um, because, because this is what God is asking me to do. And, and the angels come to him again and again and like have this conversation. Here's, here's what I want you to do. And, and Joseph slowly sees, here's the plan of God. Here's the plan of God. Which, which, you know, I haven't never had an angel come to me. Have you ever had? I haven't, you know, and we don't ever talk about this. You know, it's like, does, who does Joseph process this with? Anybody? So I had this dream last night, you know, this angel (laughs) came to me. Yeah. You know, it's like, he just understands and obeys. Right. Which is so powerful, but there's, there's no other kind of information we have about how Joseph was processing this angelic visit in his dream. And, and clearly he's talking about it because we have it in, in, the, in the Bible for us to understand. Here's what right. took place. He's got a great memory. Here's right. what was said. Um, so he's somehow telling people, 
But yeah, well, where does he process something like that? And and when you when you get that sense, here's what God is doing in my life. You know, where do we process that? How do we really get a sense of clarity around that? Because, you know, we can have a good first response and we can be gracious about it. But if it's like a whole new direction, which this was for Joseph, Mm -hmm. and you've got to have a place where you can process that and say, okay, am I getting this right? Because this is what God is actually leading me to do. Short of an angel visiting, um, which I haven't had yet. Yeah. But there's been a lot of those big decisions that I'm trying to... Boy, if we can spend this time uh, being encouraging, uh, Sean, to respond with grace. I mean, seriously, if we walked away with that today, I will double your honorarium. There you go. Which, by the way, is zero. (laughs) So it really doesn't matter. Let me take a little break. When we come back, let's talk about uh, the surprises in Mary's life. Okay. Does that sound like a plan? Let's do that. Pastor Sean Winters is in studio. He is a senior pastor at Calvary Church here in Roseville, Minnesota. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Pastor Sean Winters is my guest in studio, and he is the senior pastor at Calvary Church in Roseville, Minnesota here. And we're talking about when things don't go our way, how do we respond? Just during the break, we were all chatting about expectations, um, and I want to talk about that. But I first want to start with some of the surprises that Mary was having. She never expected to be the mother of the Messiah as a virgin, did she? No, no, she did not. And, um, you know, here's, here's a young woman who, you know, in, in her mind eyes, she's, she's just a regular person and she's just going through a process and she's excited about that. I mean, the biggest thing is, um, I'm getting engaged and you know, a marriage is going to take place. And usually that was over a long period, but, you know, you, and then all of a sudden this angel shows up and she's absolutely blown away. Um, you, you know, and it's, it's something that, you know, we, we're told later that, that she ponders things in her heart. She just mm-hmm. kind of mulls over these things. And can you imagine the, the early days of that pregnancy? Like what just took place in this angel that, you know, what, what in the world was that all about? Where does she process that sense of... Good point. Um, but, but again, you know, both in, in Joseph and Mary, we see the same issue of a kind of a grace-filled response. She, she's talking to an angel and she's like, you know, what, what in the world is this all about? Help clarify this, this for me. Um, but she's not stomping her feet and said, no, I never counted on this. And this wasn't my plan. And, you know, as Rebecca was just saying, you know, our expectations, her expectations were in a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, God interrupts. So what do we do? And sometimes problems come because of our mistakes or other people's behavior towards us. Sometimes it's just God coming in and it says, I got a different plan. And, um, boy, it's important in all of those settings to have have a grace-filled response um, and, and trusting God. I mean, that, that was part of it for, for both of them. And they, as they saw this unfold, they had this, this sense of God is near, this Emmanuel. An angel came and visited me. Um, and I'm sure that Joseph and Mary talked about this. Um, an angel came and visited me in a dream. And I'm coming back to you and I'm telling you, I, I, I know what's going on, but I still want to, I still want to do this marriage thing. Mm-hmm. Because God told me, and I'm sure they had this like, what in the world? What in the world's happening here? Um, but but as they had this sense of of Emmanuel, God 
God with us. God is near. God's doing something far beyond us in this moment. And, um, you know, I, 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 I think we probably ought to grab hold of that a little bit more, that God is doing something bigger than we, we really see. And, and our job is to be faithful in this and, um, and keep on just fighting the good fight, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mary certainly has an incredible amount of beautiful, pure faith to yeah. believe that she would become pregnant by the, whole, by the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Messiah. We've been talking about, you know, it seems like babies and Christmas today, yeah. which has been a <laughs> wonderful combination. Um, but imagine that young mother holding that child next to her chest yeah. and thinking this is the savior of the world. Yeah. How crazy is that? That is just that is phenomenal. It yeah. is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, and, and these these two were uh, a young couple that had a sense of, of deep awe and respect for God. You know, it was it was something that was altogether bigger than them and you know, the the God of the universe. They would have a high, high view of God mm-hmm. and and yet that um, and, and a high expectation of what Messiah was. They would have a great, you know, sense of anticipation along with the other people of like what, what Messiah can mean. And for her to say, yeah, by the way, I think, I think this is it. You know, I think, I think that Messiah promise is right here in my arms. Um, but, but, you know, here again, you saw people that um, walk forward faithfully. Um, she was probably a lot younger than Joseph. But, but just the, the impact of what they walk through in real time, in real community, um, you know, the confusion, the um, misunderstanding, the long looks. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure Joseph's, I don't, know, I don't know what kind of group he's in. You know, Joseph's friends are all hearing about what took place. And, hey, I hear you're, the, the woman you're engaged to is, mar- is already pregnant. What's going on there? And, hey, listen, I'm just... I'm going to marry. I'm I'm moving forward. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, all right. God told me what you know in a like, dream through yeah, angels. Yeah. yeah. How did He tell you? Yeah, uh, I was in a dream. Really? Come on. And and as they walk through that, you know, it was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. So you know what you talked about before the sense of simple obedience. You get down to verse 24 and 25, um, and you know it, it says when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Okay, I'm going to do Simple obedience. Simple obedience. Mm-hmm. It was quick. Um, you know, he was, he was absolutely willing to do it. And, and something else that I, I think I see here is that there was, uh, may, maybe it's too, too ambitious to say it was enthusiastic. Uh, maybe there was a growing enthusiasm around this. You know, he, he was willing to do it. You know, and, and there's lots of things we're willing to do. He was quick to do it, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. But... Um, there's there's been more than once where I've been willing and quick to do something, but I, I still whine about it. <laughs> I still say, "Hey, you know, this is this." Did you read my book on whining? That's chapter four. <laughs> I think you, you gave me an autographed copy. I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, it was just great. I, I I found that it was a very useful resource, and I've been able to <laughs> whine in many I'm, different I'm ways. I'm pleased to hear yeah, that. Yes. Yeah. So it you know it so he. He didn't whine about it. He didn't complain. He didn't tell, you know, 16 people why, you know, he wouldn't have picked it to go this way. Right. He got up. It says he woke up. He did what the angel commanded. He took Mary home as his wife. He didn't consummate the marriage, man. He followed through on this thing. Yes, he did. He honored her. He, he honored the story he heard. He gave 
Jesus the name Jesus, and and the guy says, you know, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be a second string dad here. I'm not I'm not dad, but I'm I'm the earthly father. Mm-hmm. I'm going to raise this kid. I'm going to love this kid. I'm probably going to be misunderstood for the rest of my life. Trying to explain that one, um, you know, at the high school basketball games, <laughs> like well, right. yeah, that's my well. Anyway, never mind. Yeah, uh, it's this whole angel thing. But but man, he you know he, so he's he's obedient. He's quick to obey. Uh, to obey, he is he is uh, willing to obey. But I think there's a, an enthusiasm that is challenging to us to say, you know, when we have a clear sense of what God's called us to do, um, boy, it's time just to do it. And that, that's easy to say, hard to do. I agree. So how do we um, um, respond when we're surprised, frustrated, and we want to do that in ways that honor God, but we sometimes don't always respond well? Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, you know, if we could just think of some real practical things here, I think um, sometimes the best thing to do is to pause and not uh, not speak right away. Um, I, I love the, the prayer in Nehemiah where he, he uh, gets the bad news. He hears the bad news. He's, he's in mourning. He, you know, he's just tearful. He's got this beautiful prayer, Nehemiah chapter 1. And then he goes into the king's presence. King says, man, you're not looking good. What's up? And Nehemiah, we, we read that he says a quick prayer to God, and then he speaks. You know, adding that, that pause, God help me. Um, we see our conversations as uh, in full view of God, mm-hmm. and that not only do I represent myself in this conversation, but I'm representing God in this conversation. Um, I, I think that's just a really helpful pattern. The, the other piece of it, let's just be honest, is that we're not going to do always do this, right? We're going to blow it. We're not going to have a grace-filled response. We're mm-hmm. going to chafe. And that's the sad yeah. reality, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. And 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 the gospel is that we are. Um, you know, we serve a God who forgives and that if we're quick to confess, um, and he's faithful to forgive us of those sins and then we can start over and we mm-hmm. can, uh, we can go back and, and, and make things right. Um, and hopefully the people in our lives will give us that grace as well. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, Sean, Joseph doesn't really get a lot of attention. We don't hear a lot about him and I don't think he speaks a word in scripture, does he? No, he doesn't. Yeah. So yet despite the fact that he, like you said, will live the rest of his life probably with people being suspicious, you know, of what he did. He also was entrusted by God to sort of be the earthly example of fatherhood. Yeah. So he he had some tremendous uh, gifts and responsibilities as well. I mean, here he is, the earthly father of the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah, man, front row seat in no kidding in, in one of the most amazing stories ever told, and uh, yeah, it's just a it's a cool story, and you know it'll be a, a fun conversation someday. No just kidding, say, hey, tell me. Yeah, no kidding. I'd, I'd like to hear what you have to say about yeah. the whole thing. And uh, Sean, just remind listeners they're they're in their cars driving home, maybe from work, maybe they've had a rough day, and just remind everyone, including me, that God's bigger story is going through our lives every day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's a great reminder that, that God is working in and through us all the time. He sees us. Uh, he's near us. It's the Emmanuel this Christmas, I hope, is real to every one of our listeners, that, that God, is, God is near us. We're not alone. 
We're not alone um, in our car. We're not alone when we walk through the door of the house. And uh, God can give us strength to have a grace-filled response, seek and follow after his will with a, with a willing and enthusiastic heart. Mm-hmm. How about that for an amen? I lay amen. And I like the idea uh, that we are um, shouldn't be too overly shocked when God interrupts our lives or has a surprise for us because even though it's a surprise to us, it's certainly not to him. Yeah, no, that, that's right. His perfect sovereignty and his perfect will um, for our lives should be a, a calming. Um, yeah, a, a calming reminder that this didn't happen um, outside of God's plan and uh, that God works for the good. Not all things are good, but God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on the show today. Always nice to see you. It's great to see you, Thank Bill. you so much. Pastor Sean Winters has been my guest. He's the senior pastor at Calvary Church. You can go to calvarychurch.us if you want to see his good-looking picture and maybe hear some of his sermons that he has preached so beautifully. That wraps up our show for the day. And what a great reminder that God is working out um, in your life. Uh, your His big story is in your life, and you can just uh, lay your head on the pillow tonight knowing that he is at work and he loves you and cares about you. And thank you for listening and supporting Faith Radio. I love our time together today and I can hardly wait till tomorrow. See you then. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com. 